This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Welcome to the Post Credit Pod. I am Brandon Katz, Senior Entertainment Reporter for the New York Observer. With me is Eric Italiano, Senior Editor at Bro Bible. And today we are talking about a lot of great things. We're really excited to debut our first ever guest on the pod. We interviewed Jake Johnson. You've seen him in New Girl, Jurassic World. Uh, a million things. This guy is a hilarious, fun actor. Uh, he's coming out with a new Netflix series, Hoops, which debuts on August 21st. Very funny, raunchy animated comedy. We kind of get into a lot of nitty-gritty stuff with him, and he tells probably the best P. Diddy story I've ever heard in my life. So bleep, definitely you want to stay tuned for that. Before we get to that, though, staying on the Netflix beat, this week they released a trailer to... Uh, the Devil All the Time, a new upcoming drama with just a sick cast. Tom Holland, Robert Pattinson. Who else is in it, Eric? Because there's a million. Uh, Jason Clark, uh, Bill Skarsgård, Riley Keough, Sebastian Stan. I mean, it's absolutely loaded. So, yeah, I mean, Netflix movies can often be hit or miss, but this one, not only from the trailer, from the cast, everything that we've seen from it. This looks like it could be a real banger. Are you excited for it? You into it? What's your thought? So there's a few things for this, just sort of like uh, at first glance that I'm pumped about. The title is one of the coolest titles I've ever heard. The trailer really boils down on the fact that it's going to be a story of like a sort of like a place beyond the pines type thing. A story of a father and son told across 20 years or so. Uh, and I, and so I'm in on that. So that's a title dope B Tom Holland. Uh, the last time I saw this guy act in a serious movie was probably in the lost city of Z, which is good reference. Yeah. Um, because since then he's been doing, you know, Avengers he's had, I think he came out with a, like a B film in uh, 2017, but it's not something that I, I think you've seen or I, I've seen. So he's still a young guy. He's 24. I'm curious to see what this kid's really got. You know what I mean? Because if he's got those chops, he goes, I mean, again, he's probably going to be playing Spider-Man for long time, close to the next 10 years or so, right? Yeah. So if you throw in the fact that he actually has the acting goods, you know, you're, you're talking about an exciting kid. Um, yeah, Peter Parker, that is a very specific type of role that I, I think he's probably the best actor for Peter Parker slash Spider-Man that we've gotten. But that is, you know, this kind of naive, awkward, well-intentioned kid where the devil all the time is a very sinister looking psychological thriller. You know, in the trailer is like, Hey preacher, you got time for a sinner. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. What's up Tom Holland? Yeah. Cool. So I'm really stoked on that because you know, if he, if he pulls this off and like, convinces us that he could act as well the sky is the limit for this kid uh and then of course our boy robert pattinson just killing it popping up being a fucking weirdo and everything he's in um again like you know he's starting to work his way back into the mainstream uh i didn't even know that he had this lined up to be yeah, honest I, with you i didn't i and listen I, I consider myself someone who tracks actors very well yeah I, I don't know what this project is it sounds cool it looks cool great cast i'm in yeah so when they first dropped the like the first look at the film like in like a tweet like two two weeks ago i was like when did he squeeze in this one you know because he's been filming uh tenet and batman and uh a and million something. other things that he's yeah done. yeah yeah so Again, I'm curious to see what, what he's got these days. By now, I think that the, uh, you know, the old 
rap on him is dead at this yeah. point. I think that even like mainstream people, especially once they see Tenet, will be like, okay, this guy's the truth. To me, like Robert Pattinson, Jake Gyllenhaal, and Ryan Gosling all belong in like the same tier of these guys are eccentric weirdos in a good way who choose a, a lot of the time really interesting projects that are that reflect their inner kind of weirdo. And they're not just your typical mainstream, like handsome Hollywood A-listers. They have an eccentricity to them that really makes their careers and their performances as actors interesting. You know, these yeah, guys, and I, guys and are really get freaky. And that's a great grouping because if you ask me, I mean, you know how hard I ride for my boy Jake G. Um, yeah, this is dating back to like 2016. Eric yeah. Italiano, big Jake all fan. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I wanted him to be Batman. I thought he would have been phenomenal. This was him like, this was before they cast Ben. And, and this was like, he came off Southpaw, so he was fucking yeah. yoked out of his mind. Uh, but point being is that's a great like grouping of guys that, that you're in. And Pattinson, who's still just, I think 30, he's 34 years old. Like he's still super young. He still has what's I, I would call his prime. Yeah. Ten years, ten years to go. Uh, so those are like the two. That said, though, I don't think his role in the Devil all the time is that big. But I'm sure he's gonna tear shit up. So I'm stoked on those two specifically. And then just the cast itself. Jason Clark is one of those guys that brings noise every time he's on film. He's um, like a great utility guy, like a guy on your bench who's coming in. He's getting ten points in like thirteen minutes. And well, just a few years ago, they tried to they they tried to push him to be an A lister. Yeah. They had him in those. Uh, he was uh, in the term, one of the Terminator like Terminators, movies. the Apes films. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, you know, never it, quite pop like that, but a good actor for sure. So I am probably I I wanted to talk about this film because of everything to come out since this whole quarantine started. I'm probably the most excited for this. Really? All the blockbusters and everything? This is I you- love a good, I love a good epic drama. Yeah. Sprawling, uh, both in tone and length. Like, I like the idea of father-sons, uh, you know, a good gothic setting. It's got that very, like, true detective, as I said, like, Place Beyond the Pines type vibe, which yeah. I'm in for. Um, and then as I just went, the cast is as good as you're going to find. So for me, uh, and then again, I, I haven't seen any Antonio Campos films. Yeah, he's, so he's kind of been more uh, under the radar in terms of film. I wouldn't call it a lot of his movies mainstream. But he's got a kind of very singular vision. A lot of his things, like you said, are, are well, kind of hue close to this gothic, sinister, psychological tone, which is very cool. You know, on this show, we mostly talk about blockbusters or very mainstream. You know, but I think this counts as a yeah. blockbuster. This is probably more prestige than 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 typical. Yes, yeah. I like it because it, it this is something different, and I kind of think it's indicative of Netflix's growth as a film provider. You know, some of their movies, a lot of their movies, aren't super great. But now you're really starting to see A-list talent sign up more frequently. You're starting to see more ambitious uh, movies and TV shows in terms of like budget and scope, but also the content. It's not just popcorn filler, vanilla BS. This is something that's very serious and weird and complex. But now we just got to hope that it's good because while Netflix has shown that they can do it, I don't think that they've yet proved that they can always do it, you know? But if this hits... In terms of, you know, it racks in a, a award or two, good viewership, the cast is praised. That's a huge win for them. Massive. And I think that that, that, that film will snowball into being a big deal if it, if it is good. And I think it's kind of indicative of a larger trend we're seeing with Netflix. Now, they released last year about 70 original films in 2019, Ooh. which is more than like five, the five highest grossing studios combined for last yeah. year. And they eventually want to release 90 movies per, per year, ranging from like small indies to $200 million blockbusters. That's what their, their head of uh, film, Scott Stuber, has said in multiple interviews. And since the pandemic started, they're releasing about 60 original films and series per year, I mean per month, as really the only consistent provider of fresh content 
in this kind of troubled, economically depressed times. And that's really helped them shoot forward. I mean, they've already added 26 million subscribers in the first half of 2020 after adding 28 million in all of 2019. So like, oh my God, wow. So this is their time where they're really firmly leapfrogging traditional media and entertainment. To kind now, of I'm, I'm, I'm not sure who said it, but someone high up said that they have enough backlogged content to get them halfway through next year. Yeah, Reed Hastings and Ted Sarandos, who are now co-CEOs of Netflix, have both reiterated that a few times, uh, which is important because, again, pr- production is starting to slowly pop back up in pockets of the world. But, you know, American production is still largely shut down for the most. California is a long way from there. You know what I mean? Like they, they've still got their own problems going on. Like fire to na- tornadoes are ripping through the country now. Did you see that? No. And thank God I haven't. Cause it's been a rough weekend regardless. So that's the last thing I, <laughs> I need. A, I yeah, need a tornado. So yeah, <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen. And you know, we're, we're seeing it with linear television too. Like Fargo season four is oh. finally, yes. You know, I'm a big Fargo guy, but that's finally debuting in September after originally supposed to hit in April. So if Netflix is still deep and flush with fresh content while other studios, TV, whatever, are struggling to get new new shows and new content out there, they're going to kind of continue thriving in the pandemic world. You wrote down some films that, that have come out in the past year. Look at the past year alone, how much they've changed the game in terms of or the last two years. Roma, The Irishman, Extraction, Old Guard, Six Underground. These are all narrative shifting films they took over the conversation for the week or two that they came out which is a huge step forward for them had covid not happened as you wrote down red notice would probably be out at the start of next year uh which is going to be guaranteed to be their biggest film of all time not only that but they also don't know red notice stars dwayne johnson Ryan Reynolds and Gal Gadot, really cool original action, action blockbuster with a great cast. So that's and a no- yeah, that's a no-brainer. Uh, and then they just signed that deal with the uh, Russo brothers, with uh, Gosling and um, Chris Evans, yeah. that huge franchise. So like, they've really ramped it up in the past year or two. Where where the point? It's like now you're talking about. Is Netflix one of the premier film studios? Because yeah, I mean, they essentially replaced Fox as the sixth major film studio since Fox was swallowed up by Disney. And I mean, look what they're doing. They're releasing more movies than the majority of the entire industry. Again, a lot of those are forgettable, but the fact is they are making films that capture the zeitgeist more and more. And each week seems to bring a new legitimizing factor where uh, uh, a list director signs on two megawatt Hollywood stars want to sign in, you know, in their movies every week seems to be another chapter where they keep building and building and growing and improving. I mean, even more like, you know, and these are like uh, top end films, even stuff like the um, umbrella Academy is growing. I mean, you, you see it in memes now, like it's becoming a part of the pop, cultural conversation even though it's more of a neat show you know the average user is finding it and loving it you know i did not i thought i I was gonna like it looked like childish for me Uh, brandon i have not finished a show that quickly in a long time it's really fun i ripped through it the first season which it's weird because the reviews seem to think that season two was uh better i thought season one was i watched it in one day one sitting right through so even the fact that they're like smaller projects quote unquote are having this sort of cultural impact is just incredible yeah i mean and all third-party metrics from really reliable firms like parrot analytics and real good that track kind of streaming viewership you know all of those have said over the last two weeks 30 days and 60 days the Umbrella Academy is one of the most watched digital originals in both the United States and the world. So it's, it's really kind of beefing up as it goes. And in my review for season two, I said, this is what you get when you mix 
Wes Anderson with Matthew Vaughn, give him uh, Adderall and Red Bull, and give him a Spotify premium account. That's a great, that's, see, that's why you do what you do. That's impressive. <laughs> now, you like two more than one, though? I like two more than one, but I also, I gave one, season one an A- minus in my review last oh, year. Wow. So, like, I really, really like yeah. that. And I think, that, not to spoil, but I think the setup for season three is fascinating, too. Big time. I mean, this ultimate reality we're going into. Like, I have no idea what to expect. I'm so excited. I didn't read the comics. Me so. either. And now I don't want to because I don't want to spoil the show. Even though, like, I do love comic books, I would rather see it be done on screen, you know? Big time. But I want to stick with superheroes since now we kind of got into that. Earlier this week, DC Fandom officially released its schedule. Now, you and I have looked over it together a little bit. What stands out to you? What are you most looking forward to? Which panel are you definitely tuning into? And by the way, to all of our listeners, we will have uh, reaction pods going up throughout DC Fandom in, in the days after to just break down all the news and announcements and everything you guys need more information on. So I think the most fascinating thing that they did here is they put the Batman last. Uh, I knew you were going to go with that one. Well, only because you pointed out the fact that, hey, the you know, this save the best for last, which leads me to believe it's going to be a trailer. Did they film enough to have a trailer? I don't know. Because I, I know that- we will see footage. But a trailer or just footage? I, I don't know if we'll see a full-fledged trailer, but I do think we'll see footage. So that makes it move for me. I mean, um, <laughs> that is, so like, I'm absolutely gassed up about that. You know, we forget because it's, you know, they, they were filming when the year started and then, and, then, and then it got shut down. The cast is out of this world. They have Colin Farrell playing the fucking penguin. You know, only like, a couple scenes, apparently. It's just more of a setup for future. But like, if you do that well, that's awesome. That's the way that they should do it. They don't want to, I would rather them be like, working on the outside while Batman only has to deal with one central threat. And then you give these guys a scene or two in like the background. Uh, and I have faith in Reeves. Um, Big time. I mean, while I, while I don't think, while I'm not as huge of a fan of the apes films as the general consensus seems to be, I think the, I think particularly the third one is kind of slow. Uh, his world building and, and his approach to, that sort of outrageous story and how he was able to make it such a serious, grounded, emotional story, one in which you find yourself rooting for the apes, that tells me all I need to know. Uh, so I'm souped on that. Um, I'm definitely pumped to see what uh, The Rock brings for Black Adam. You know, we haven't, that's been in, he got cast in that role, what, it's been three years now he at this point? Cast, no, no, he was cast in like 2014, and he was linked to the role as far back as 2007. Yeah, so like. So he's essentially been connected to this property. For 15 for years. <laughs> more, than, yeah, more than a decade, and we're finally getting it, like, moving forward. Finally. So, I mean, who knows what they're going to show us. Maybe castings? There's no way there's like film or like yeah, a, no, they haven't started production yet. Yeah, so maybe a maybe they reveal like the villain or something. because uh, he's like an anti-hero, right? Yeah, so he's Black Adam the character traditionally started as, as a villain and over time has kind of morphed into this really engaging, compelling anti-hero who they're not gonna make the Rock a bad guy. I could promise you that right now. I'm sure there'll be some like BVS vibes where him and Shazam beef for a little bit before joining forces for something. But yeah, I mean, long term, of course, they're, they're going to want The Rock to be a good guy. Overall. And then, of course, last but not least, I'm sure you could guess. Uh, Just Snyder Cut? Yes, sir. Because we're getting a trailer. Probably a full trailer. Um, this is it. It's real now, you know? It, yeah. If it, I do I expect it to blow me away? No, but I do want to see what changes he's making to the tone and stuff because that'll be the biggest thing for me. What song do they use? Uh, what color palette is it? Those very bottom floor changes that you and I both hated about the Joss Whedon cut. And I want to see listen to our podcast on that Justice League. That was one of our most fun ones. You guys got to go back and download that one. 
So I'm curious to see how he starts to bring that all back uh, and restore his vision. It's fascinating I, stuff. We've never really seen something like this before. So I like that you said that now it's real because just yesterday I told my friend that I feel like DC fandom with a trailer for Snyder Cut is like the first time you see a sonogram like of your baby. It's real <laughs> now. Oh my God. It's like it was, it was conceptual and now it's physical. Exactly. And I can't believe it. Yep. So that's, that's going to be cool. Listen, I, I, on this pod, have done my fair share of Snyder criticism and really my concerns and fears about a Snyder cut and what precedent that sets in the industry. And I've been probably overall negative about it. But at the same time, as a superhero fan who did like bits and pieces of, you know, Man of Steel, the first, you know, 30, 40 minutes of, of Batman v Superman, I can't say I'm not a little bit excited to finally see like what the Snyder Cut's all about, even though I've had horrible interactions with a lot of those people online who call me anti-Semitic names and send death threats just because I was like, you know, Batman v Superman wasn't that great. <laughs> but I'm still excited. But I think my, my number one thing that I'm looking forward to, and you mentioned it, the Dwayne Johnson Black Adam panel, specifically because DC in its uh, press release said, it's going to be a fan Q&A along with, quote, a few surprises. And I've said it on other podcasts before, and I have said it briefly on ours. If there was ever a time to announce that Henry Cavill is indeed coming back as Superman, it's right now in the middle of the worst year in, you know, the last 20 years of American history. Maybe not the last 20 years, but a terrible year. There's been rumors that they're, they're back at the negotiating table together. It makes sense both narratively and for behind the scenes industry reasons for him to pop up either in Shazam or Black Adam. So I, I'm, I, don't, I haven't heard anything, like none of my sources have told me anything, but I just have this inkling that that could be the big reveal. I wrote a article for Bro Bible. Let me just Google it real quick. About and, yeah, this. At home, always check out BroBibleAndObserver.com where we really dig into all of our kind of superhero blockbuster analysis even more. So I published this on February 17th. Every time The Rock posts about the film on his IG, he puts the hashtag, the hierarchy of power in the DC is going to change. And as I've explained to you, the only way to do that, if you're talking about upending the power structure of the DCEU, that means you have to come at the king. And there's only one king, and that's Superman. So I have been on this train for the entire year. I love that you point that out. I, I wasn't even thinking about that at all. Um, it makes total sense because they really don't have much to work with. There's no film yet, so they can't show a trailer or like a reel. Uh, so the biggest news that they could come with is, you know, that. Now, do you think he will factor into the film itself? Or do you think he'll just be like a cameo or something? If Henry Cavill does come back, and uh, if he is indeed going to be in Black Adam in some capacity, I expect him to just be a cameo slash, you know, and or post credit scene because I think they really want to establish Black Adam as its own property first before kind of intermingling him with bigger elements of the DCU. Kind of like the reason why when they originally wanted Black Adam to be in Shazam, they were like, you know what, let's actually give Black Adam his own thing so Shazam can kind of establish himself right. before, you know, for lack of a better term, being overshadowed by The Rock. So I, I do think we'll probably get a snippet, if, if true. And then whatever comes next is going to be big and awesome. Black Adam is my number one. I also interviewed the uh, cinematographer who also did uh, Joker. And, you know, he said, so yeah, sorry. So he said that between him and Dwayne and the director, they want to reinvent the genre. And they're not necessarily saying that this is going to be- That's a fucking bold claim right there. Yeah, wow. Exactly. Shoot, shoot your shot. And listen, he, he emphasizes, he's like, you know, it's not like we're going to be doing like an art house film where it's like on Vogue or whatever it, it's called, avant-garde. Right, right. They're trying to reinvent something and push it to the next level. He told me it takes a bit of brain work to get there. You have to think. How do you crack the code of what's going to be next? said he's still in code cracking mode for this one, but uh, he's been thinking about ways to really push some newness, some freshness, 
and infuse a different kind of look and feel into the otherwise somewhat, you know, cookie cutter superhero looks that we have gotten. So I think that's really cool. You can check that interview out on observer.com. Shameless plug, shameless plug. But I'm, yeah, so Black Adam's probably my number one panel. And then of course, you like a new trailer for uh, Wonder Woman I'm excited about. I'm obviously thrilled to hopefully get some footage of Batman. You know, we're going to get a Suicide Squad trailer potentially, or at least a little bit of footage. So it's just going to be a whole mess of fun. I uh, I also want to give a quick shout out to the games that they're going to talk about. Yeah, I'm not uh, a gamer and also all you. <laughs> yeah, so Rocksteady, who is the company behind all those great Batman games, are coming out with a Suicide Squad game. Uh, and the first teaser that they put out there featured Superman, which blew my brain to pieces. So <laughs> I'm hyped for that. And then there's also rumors of a Batman game coming out too. I mean, the only thing cooler than getting to watch these guys on screen is getting to play as them. So I would suggest to you, my friend, to get into games because those Batman games are the best Batman experience that I've ever had. And I think they're going to be PS5 and stuff though. So it's not like they they come out soon, but it's going to be sweet. Listen, I'm not anti-gamer at all. I was just so bad at video games growing up. I broke so many controllers out of just exacerbated frustration that I just never returned to it. It just wasn't fun for me because I sucked so bad. I have many talents. I'm a man of many skills, but playing video games effectively was never one of them. Now, I know sticking with superheroes yet again, you were particularly excited about a piece of news that made the rounds this past week. Do you want to get into it? Do you want to explain well, it? Well, I, I think calling it news is a little bit kind. Because it was debunked by a, a reputable outlet. So there were rumors that none other than our boy Shia LaBeouf was being eyed for a role in the MCU. Now, the reports were that it was Iceman, yeah, uh, a new kind of reimagining of the X-Men. Which does not excite me at all. But there were also reports of Moon Knight, who is, as far as I, I don't know Moon Knight, but from what I read, he's one of their darker characters. Yeah, so the Iceman rumors were shot down by the rap. And, you know, for everybody kind of gets different information. And sometimes when rumors are debunked, it actually turns out not to be true, and the original rumor was accurate. In this case, I I trust it. I do think that perhaps it was just that, a rumor. But I do think he would make a great Moon Knight, which is going to be a blockbuster Disney Plus miniseries at some point. Moon Knight is a mentally unstable, no, no, seriously, he's, he like legitimately has mental issues, which I think is so cool that they explore in comic book material. No, I laughed because I thought, who better? Yeah, extended someone who's been very honest and upfront about the struggles in his life. Everyone go watch Honey Boy on Amazon that Shia LaBeouf wrote and co-stars in. It's a phenomenal film. And uh, I also like it because Moon Knight is a Jewish character and Shia LaBeouf, a Jewish actor, would just be nice, especially because, uh, you know, Zachary Levi, who I always thought was Jewish, especially from The Marvelous Miss Maisel, is not Jewish. I felt <laughs> so betrayed and so disappointed. He's that ours, baby. He's ours. Get out of here. But we still got Gal Gadot, all right? The members of the tribe. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. So I just definitely win there. And I'm, you know, and and I think that sticks with the ongoing shift in Hollywood that we're seeing with, you know, casting appropriately, uh, you know, uh, casting people whose races and backgrounds and origins reflect the characters that they're playing. And I really like that. So I would, you know, he's he's still just 35. He still could have the best 10 years of his career to come i've always loved his talent i love to talk about how in fury sharing scenes with brad pitt and uh john bernthal and michael pena he's the best actor in that movie uh and that's always stuck out to me so and then if he pulls this off brandon the comeback will have been completed you know we need a cool nickname like mcconaughey got the mcconaughey since we need something for keanu and we need something for shia about like cementing these awesome cultural revivals shia labac <laughs> that's pretty good that's pretty good on the top of your head shia labac i like that so shia labac start it post credit pod fans hashtag shia labac so let's hope that those become true because i would love to see it and i think he'd be great that would be cool 
So now, guys, we teased you with it before at the beginning, but we want to get into our Jake Johnson interview, which we recorded a few days ago. Just a funny, intelligent, cool guy. And again, you, you're in store for a hilarious story about P. Diddy, who he shared scenes with in Getting to the Greek. I'm not going to say anything more than that. Eric, roll the tape. Listen, I feel like the cushion has to be padded a little bit for you, given the Chicago Cubs hot start. Like, I feel like that makes it 1% better. You know, I would say it does. The only problem is, is sports don't seem real. Why? Because the fans or? I, I don't believe the season's going to end. It's 60 games. The Cubs Cardinals series was canceled because of the Cardinals, but I can't. Cardinals. Even, <laughs> but I can't even really talk trash about it because. They have a virus that might kill them or their family. So, like, my uh, John Hamm is a big St. Louis Cardinals fan, and we text a bunch and talk a lot of trash. They canceled the series because the Cardinals have COVID-19, and I'm not even talking shit about it. So, like, this is so backward. I don't even know what's happening. Well, what's nuts is how fast they're being put back in because i'm i'm a mets fan and they played the uh marlins in their first games back uh and they were only off for like a week you're totally right that's not the 14-day quarantine i mean that's you know um so so i feel like sports are a good place to start um i loved hoops i i watched it in like one one sitting kind of just you know laid in bed ripped bong laughed my ass off uh, which I assume is what you guys are going for. Cause it sort of reminds me like when I was a kid seeing South park, uh, yeah. b- because the kids are your age, you feel right. like you're them. So I kind of feel like the show was aimed at the age of your team. That's interesting. You know, like, like if you're like 16, this is yeah. hilarious. Yeah, totally. Um, so I want to start with Ben. Something I think that you do very well is play like a down to earth guy. Uh, but Ben, for lack of a better term, is a complete degenerate scumbag. <laughs> um, I mean, he's, he's he's part, but that's what makes it work. So I'm, I'm just curious, where did this guy come from? Does he remind you of a coach that you had? Do you have any stories of a coach like that? So, you know, I got to give Coach Ben, the, you know, the show is created and written by a guy named Ben. Right, so, I saw that, yeah. <laughs> So Ben really created Ben. Uh, the bits, the ideas behind him, his getting real, like, you know, remember the gumball scene when he's trying to get the chainsaw? And he's like, green, green, right, right, right. And he yeah, goes yeah. like, I'll never spend another penny in here in my life. And then he yeah. goes, like, oh, gumball, oh, fucking green, I'm green. That is Ben Hoffman's sense of humor in a nutshell, in my opinion. It's taking one moment, and then that stupid, like li- little man tape and heightening and heightening and heightening. So I didn't, I don't have a reference really for my version of coach Ben. What I tried to do was make Ben Hoffman laugh. So when we first were finding the character, you know, you try to, you do different reads. And so what I really pushed for was trying to get the other actors in the booth with me at the same time. So we could improvise together. We could say the lines together. We could find the rhythm opposite each other. And then we were all kind of looking towards Ben because the sense of humor of this show, of Hoops, this isn't a show that I would have written. You know, I've got shows that I've developed that, you know, networks love to pass on. It's not Hoops. Um, So I like Hoops. I think Hoops is really funny. But that wheelhouse sense of humor, we were going towards Ben's vision. And we knew we hit it when Ben would be cracking up. So you didn't have any sort of coach like that growing up playing sports that well, you I, I had a of? lot of? I had a lot of coaches. Um, you know, I grew up outside Chicago. So obviously I had Ditka to watch, you know, Bobby Knight out of Indiana, you know, Mike Gundy yelling, I'm a man, I'm 40. Yeah. You know, all these coaches that culturally were allowed to be abusive tyrants long before everybody else found it ridiculous, I found it really funny. So Mike Ditka's behavior when I was growing up, it was somehow viewed as really cool that he could just flick off the media. It's just bad behavior. Um, But it's always been really funny. So for me, it was more just playing that game. 
Oh, sorry. No, jump in, please. Now, is this the worst guy that you've played? Because as I said, you're, you know, you're kind of known for playing that down to earth guy. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like this for you is sort of like, I mean, this, this guy is as crass as they come. Yeah, I will say, you know, when, once I did New Girl, I started getting the same type of parts. And as an actor, you get what you were offered. But before New Girl, I booked a different type of part. I, you know, I was in a David Mamet movie where I played the bad guy who fights. My first, one of my first gigs was in Lie to Me where I played a murderer. So no, he's not my first bad guy. But I will say since New Girl, the offers and the, I mean, I've had other offers. They're just not as exciting parts. But the jobs I want to take, it's mostly Henry, 40s, uh, not handsome, but not ugly, uh, down on his luck. Gets by on charm. Yeah. um, Can talk his way out of a lot of situations. Is a good guy, has potential. So I play that a lot because, one, I like to do it, and two, I'm offered it. Well, and I mean, to be fair to Ben, there's bad guys and then there's bad guys. Yeah, uh, he's like he, a real bad guy. He's yeah, just, but he's just a bad, not, a, not not even a bad dude, but you know. He's just, you know what he is? Uh, and it was a conscious thing we did. He's a loud, bitter loser. And we filled the show up with other loud, angry people. So he's not a bully because there's nobody he can bully. He's just, well, that brings me to a great point because I feel like in sports stories, the coach always has a heart of gold. Yeah, uh, our coach doesn't. Right. So is that something that you guys thought of as well? You know, I, I mean, I'm, Ben might have a different answer, but my take when I would be in the writer's room or when I would be having meetings on this, my only big thing was because of the tone of the show we're making, I don't want to also pretend to have a message. I also don't want to, pre- I think smoking a bunch of weed or having a bunch of drinks and watching it is how this is meant. If you are 16 or 60, you're not supposed to watch this with your morning coffee and a pad to, you know, think about. It's not a show you're going to take home with you. Just if it's late at night and you want to watch something and have a bunch of laughs, this might get it for you. If you're not laughing within the first five minutes, it's never going to pull you in. If you are laughing, it'll never disappoint you. The final minute is the same tone of the same vein as the first minute. We were very consistent in this show. We knew what it was. Now, You're sadly confident in your own identity. That much is for sure. That's what it is. It's like, that's what- Well, this guy, is. Ben, certainly yeah. is, despite the fact that he should be the last person on earth who, you know. Uh, so just to get, get into Ben more, I want to talk about the voice because this is supposed to take place in the Midwest, but being a Northeast guy, yeah. that sounds like our voice. Yeah. What's well, uh, Kentucky? It's south. It's southeastiness. Man, I write. I I don't build build maps. <laughs> so, uh, but point being is that you know I'm from like the Northeast, New York, Boston, right. uh, and that I found was kind of the tone that you were going for. So, because you clearly aren't trying to do like a southeastern voice. Nope. So. so, so Barry yeah. Hopkins, his dad was in the NBA uh, or the ABA and his dad's who's played by Riggle. So, and Ben Hoffman, the writer creator of it is actually from Kentucky. So the reason we said it in Kentucky is it's based off of his reality. He does not have an accent. So there were a lot of talk about, you know, when we were doing this, do I start, do we start playing with an accent? Do we need everybody to have an accent? Does every like Opal doesn't have one, but Natasha's character does. And right, he said right, right. where he's from in Kentucky, some people really have it and others don't. So we just decided to do whatever people were at as their funniest. We went with that. So, but what are you doing for that voice? I mean, it's, if it's a very distinct voice. Are you just trying to be as loud as possible or like, what's your. So here, here was the origins of it. Seven years ago, Ben came to me with Chris Miller and Phil Lord to do a pilot presentation of this for MTV. And they all said, let's do something different in that. Let's not be afraid for MTV to pass on it. So we shot the opening sequence that's in the pilot where he's yelling at the refs. And then there was the scene where he's trying to get Maddie on the team and says he'll get them uh, laid. And then there was a scene with the prostitute. And I think it ended there. In that, we just did the, the version of Coach where he's going like, let me fucking tell you this. So we just basically yelled through that pilot presentation. 
when we went to series and we were trying to figure out what 10 episodes of these were and who coach was when we tried to go deeper, we realized really quickly, we never want to see coach doing a scene where his voice drops down and you see the quote unquote real coach. Which you so, do see towards yes, the end. Yeah. A little bit, but even then he's still in that same register where he'll be like, right. I know he wanted to be this. So, you know, it's a little bit, you know, it's a cartoon. It's not a version of a character I'd want to do in live action, but in a cartoon, we just wanted to play this version of what's the voice that we can do with Ben that even in a sweet moment, we can do a cut to a joke with the second half of his line and the rhythm still feels funny enough. Now even when he's oh, got sorry, vulnerable moments with his wife, he's still yeah. turned up way to 11, which I love. And the big conversation we had creatively on this and with our executives was, can we have the other characters be as loud or should we have them be quieter? So we would always do takes where, you know, we played with a version of Natasha not being so in his face. And then we realized, but we kind of like, we don't ever want coach to be able to bully anyone. So we ended up with a lot of loud people being loud. Um, Jake, you've you've been doing press all day, so I don't know if you've seen, but news has come out that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have uh, called called it quits on uh, the fall. How do you think a guy like Ben would deal deal with that news? Um, I think he I think he's too stupid to understand. I mean, no, here's what he would do. He'd go like this: "This is great. That means we can't fucking lose." <laughs> if it's forfeited, we forfeited in first fucking place. Oh, yeah. He's the angriest yeah. optimist in TV history. <laughs> exactly. He would view it as a victory for the Colts because they finished in first place. So it, is this as much fun as you've had doing a role? Because you're just, you'll just spit out the voice, you know, just as we talk. So it sounds like you enjoyed playing, Ben. You know, I've been pretty lucky in the last kind of decade of my career. I haven't really taken many gigs that I didn't enjoy doing. Uh, they're all fun for different reasons. Um, what's fun about this is the most fun was being able to do the character in the booth, you know, working with Rob Riggle, who I love. Max Greenfield came on. Cleo Kane, who I handpicked from New Girl and tried to get her to be the principal. Natasha Funches, Eric Edelstein, Steve Berg. Like, our list goes on. Is the one kid on on the team, the black kid, the, the, the voice from uh, Richard Splett from Veep? Yes. Is that him? Richard. I knew it. I, I just watched Veep and his voice stuck out to me. Oh, that's great. It's a great cast. It's a great Sam cast. was also in the pilot presentation seven years ago. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, he is. I mean, I'm telling you, the cast, when you start breaking down, Nick Swartzen plays one of the kids in it. Like, I noticed that. But towards the end, right? He yes. just pops up real quick, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's Scott. He has a full episode. Oh, okay, okay. Because I, I, I heard him real quick, and that's a voice that you know. Yeah, so right we, what we really tried to do on this show was just cast. And we wanted, and like, you know, Sam Richardson's the kind of guy who should be the lead of his own animated show. He's hard, funny, he's smart, he's got a great voice. But he comes in, I think he's in four or five episodes, and just kills. Nick Swartzen's the same way. Everybody, Mary Holland comes in and crushes it. We got everybody who we're fans of just to come in because the ask of this show was, if you don't like a joke, change it. We're not going to make you say something you don't want to say. If you want to say, if you say like this joke, I don't want to say it, say something else. So you got to ad lib? Uh, everybody, we, we all did the script. We all did our ad libs. Everyone was allowed to mess around. Um, ben Hoffman's style, which is a style that I do as well, is kind of best joke wins. Right. So if you have the like joke you on page, tell. who cares? Yeah. Um, so I want to just lead now into your probably uh, your most famous animated role uh, as Peter B. Parker. Um, how are you pitched this role? Because Spider-Man is... I'd say a top five comic book. He's a Mount Rushmore guy. Character for sure. But you're playing probably the most human version I've ever seen uh, portrayed in a film. So how was that part of it pitched to you? Were, yeah, were so Phil and Chris like, hey, Jake, you're going to get get to play Spider-Man, but. No, Phil Lord sent me an email years ago saying, um, I'm writing a, it was called Cabin Fever at the time because they didn't want anyone to know about it. They didn't want any leaks. And he said, uh, I'm writing an animated movie with you in mind, um, but 
Sony will not just let us offer it to you because I'm obviously not famous at the level of, you know, Robert Downey Jr. So they said, he said, you would have to audition for it and have meetings because it's a big part for them. But I'm writing it for you. And are you interested? If You'd have to work for it. And I was like, did he tell you what it was or not yet? So it's Phil Lord. So I'm like, Chris and Phil, they're brilliant guys. So I said, absolutely. What is it? And he said, it's a 40 year old Peter Parker who's going through a depression. And I thought like, great. Cause I'm not a comic book guy. I didn't grow up reading them. So um, I don't watch any of the Marvel movies. I haven't seen the new star Wars movies. I'm not that guy. So to hear you're playing Peter Parker, my thought would be, you know, I might not be your perfect guy, but then when I heard it was a 40 year old Peter Parker who was sick of being Spider-Man was going through a rough period. I thought like, Oh, I actually am your guy, Phil. You right? <laughs> I'm your man. That sounds just like me. <laughs> I'm your, if it's Peter, I'm your man. Did that help to approach the role without the reverence of a comic book fan and geek who grew up on it? You know, I don't know what, possibly. I didn't come in with uh, a lot of things that I demanded uh, to do. I was very open to our directors on that. I was very open to, and we did the same thing where Shamik Moore, who plays Miles, who does a brilliant job. He's a, an amazing young actor and a great guy. He, uh, he and I got to do our parts opposite each other a lot. So I really got to form who that version of Peter was next to his, because his miles is very, it's higher. It's like, Peter, what are we going to do? We're going to do it. And so I'm like, oh, well, I'm not going to yell at that voice. Like, right. that's a kid. And so we were able to kind of find the tone together a lot. Now, Chris said in a tweet that the next one is going to make the first one look quaint. Um, have you seen any clips at all? Can you speak to that or? Nothing. I don't know. I, I have been on the outs. Um, but so when you did get, get to play the role and you weren't on, on the outs, how did you sort of balance like all of what is at the end of the day, a comedic role with also being, again, an iconic hero? Yeah. You know, did you think about that balance as you were playing the role? It's a, it really, was all... good, it's a really good question, but I didn't. Uh, and one thing that I really do try to do in my uh, career is when you're at work, it's not my job to think about the reaction. It's not my job to think about the past. It's my job to do what the writer and directors are asking me to do. So even with hoops, once I found what Ben's tone was and I knew what he found funny, it's not my job at that point to think about the reaction, what it's going to be a year later. When we're doing press now, we can think about that. So when I would show up to work and I would read the sides of Peter B. Parker and realize what he had to do, I tried to have as few hard rules in between my ears as possible so that I could instinctually read the scene and hit the beats. And if they gave me a direction, I'd never had a moment where I would say, Peter wouldn't do that. <laughs> if Phil Lord or Rodney Rothman or Bobby or you know Peter, if any of them said, I want you to do this, there was no part of me that said my version of Peter wouldn't do that. What were there parts of the role that you brought to them? Like, I think that Peter should do X, Y, Z or no. any of the ad lib. I ad libbed a lot. I, if I'm allowed to, I'll always ad lib. Um, I try to bring, you know, as much comedy as I can to a project, but no, I, I can't say that I helped really build Peter besides showing up and voicing him and trying to add, you know, obviously when you do a part, you try to add part of yourself to it. It's written on page and you ideally bring a little humanity to it. But outside of that, I'm not the brainchild of that Peter B. Parker. So, you know, some characters I can say I was part of the, you know, Nick Miller, Liz Merriweather and I had a very open communication. So I pitched to Liz the whole trans story about my character becomes friends with an old Asian guy in a park who doesn't talk. I think it could be really fun. And she's like, all right. And I'm like, it could be really fun if the other cast members realize that Nick has this friendship with his old man and Nick's the only one talking. Cause I like the idea of Nick being a little crazy and Liz and I could go back and text ideas. I did not do that with Peter Parker. Peter, I would, they would give me the material. We would talk it out. We would have discussions, but I did not feel like I was at the creative table because deep down, and I, it's the same way with Stumptown, the show I'm on now. I don't know film noir. 
I know sitcoms, so I can give a lot of opinions, but I don't know detective dramas. And I don't know comic books enough to really want to sit at the table and pitch big notes. So you may not know comic books, but you do after, you know, years in the industry, no character, no story. Is there a particular beat or lane that you'd like to see Peter Parker, you know, inhabit in the next film? What would you like to see as the development continues for his character? Um, you know, Peter left off remembering what it felt like to be a hero. And the arc that I personally liked of Peter a lot was he, life kicked his ass. He ended up beaten down. And in doing so, he kind of forgot what he loved about being Spider-Man. And in meeting Miles and in trying to get home, he remembers that there's something great about your natural skill set. He's also going home because after being with Miles, he realized fatherhood might be cool. The MJ, right. I threw away something that could be great. So I'm interested to see, does he get married? Does he have a kid? Is he back to being Spider-Man? What does it mean to be Spider-Man and a dad? You know, it's a different risk factor if you're jumping off a building and you have a kid than if you don't have a kid. So that kind of real life Peter Parker is what interests me the most as opposed to just killing bad guys, saving the world. Um, Jake, I got to ask you this one and I don't want to save it for the end because I need to know. I want to talk about your scene. In, in... I hope that's set, by the way. Well, because this is sort of like a throwaway. It's not one of your bigger projects, but for me as a fan of your work, this scene stuck out. And get them to the Greek. Sure. Uh, we're, we're, I, I just want to, because I'm sure it's one day of... of, of no, of it was playing. a week. It was a week. That one scene? With, the, with P. Diddy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a very stressful experience. So, okay. This is, okay, so I wanted to ask, because he, to me, is hilarious. Uh, Same with me. So just walk me through, like, were you guys right. expecting that? Uh, do you want a couple, why it was stressful? You want a couple uh, getting to the Greek stories? Please. Okay. Please. So here's, so you remember uh, P. Diddy did that reality show on MTV, Making the Band? Yeah. Yes. So I, <laughs> and then I watched Chappelle it. ripped yeah. on him for it, of course. So I watched it. I knew the show. Um, I just spent a lot of hours for some reason watching him torture these people, <laughs> make them watch over, walk over bridges, all that shit. So Early, early on in my career was that stuff. Things started to pop a little bit. I knew Max Winkler really well. Max Winkler knew Jonah Hill really well. Jonah knew me from Max's indie movie called Ceremony. The talent in that scene is through the roof. It, I mean, disgusting. Disgusting. <laughs> it's crazy. Disgusting. So I'm going to get to that scene, but here's the first table read story. So Jonah calls me in to do the table read of Get Him to the Greek. I never had done a table read before and it was on a Saturday. So I didn't even, I, I thought he meant like him and like five other people. This is not a joke. Um, I have, especially early on in my career and still to this day, if you ask friends of mine, do some really unprofessional moves unintentionally. So it's a Saturday. We went to the Sony lot or the universe where I was in a fucking sweat outfit. I don't know why I was wearing a sweat outfit. I'm not a sweat outfit guy. You mean like a tracksuit, like like yeah. head to toe? Like, okay, okay. I it was an outfit I don't rock. Yeah, I don't feel confident in it. It's not like this is my thing. It was just Saturday. I woke up I late, made know. coffee. I was I thought I was gonna go read. So you're like, man, baby, be comfortable. I get to the table read. The full cast is there, and there's a hundred people of seats. Judd Apatow's in the front row, every executive, every agent. I see my friend Max Winkler and he goes, what the fuck are you wearing? <laughs> and instantly I'm in my head and I go, I'm, uh, just a sweat outfit, it's Saturday. He's like, why are you wearing a sweat outfit? So I'm thrown. I look for my goofy name tag. And I'm now just hold on Jake, is this your first big film role or? It was near it. It was right around that time. Okay, um, so you, you've got the name tag. But this, I mean, mind you, if I had done something before, it was just indies. This is my, right. and mind you, the, I'm in the table. I hadn't been cast as it in the movie. I was, all I know was I got an email from the casting agent saying, Jonah Hill would like you to do a table read with. No pay, it's free. Are you free on Saturday? Sure, I like Jonah. He's a super funny dude. Yes, great. We'll see you Saturday at 10. Great. <laughs> For some fucking reason, I wore a sweat outfit. 
Well, so, someone should have prepped here. Someone should have given you the heads up. Like, hey, Judd Apatow's going to be in the front row. I totally agree. Now, when I asked people about it after, everybody knew what it was but me, which is not great. So when I'm like, somebody should have told me, they're like, we assumed you knew what a table read was. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so I get there. I'm feeling really in my head. I see at the front where all the cast is and then all the people watching, I'm looking for my name tag. It's right next to Sean P. Diddy Combs. <laughs> of I, course. I can't believe it. So he's oh. not there yet. Everybody's there. Russell Brand is there. Uh, Jonah's there. Crawl's there. Everybody's just kind of there doing bits. I'm sitting there in a sweat outfit just trying to disappear. <laughs> Sean P. Diddy Combs is 30 minutes late. We're all just sitting there and it's a weird vibe. Then the door opens and his bodyguard comes in, who's humongous. And then Sean Combs comes in and sits right next to me. I was pretty new to celebrity at that point. Jonah didn't throw me. I knew him. Russell Brand, you know, I had seen him in um, the Nick Stoller movie. I can't remember, but I didn't feel nervous around him. When Sean Puff Danny PD sat next to me, I lost it. I didn't know what I didn't know where I was. I wanted to ask for a selfie because you're a fan. Because I'm a or, fan. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I watched that reality show. So, were you expecting what? What did you expect from him that day? And and what was it like to film that scene? Because it is one of the best scenes, and what I think is one of the most underrated films from that sort of ten year run. Yes. It came at the tail end, but it cracks me up every time I see it. So, particularly that scene. So Sean comes in. And he's got a monologue that's, you know, two pages long. He starts improvising. It is so hard funny that I stop reading along and turn into a fan and I just go like this. And he's just going. And then at one point he goes, all right, give me your ideas. Who's up? Well, I was reading as one of the executives. So I go, oh, I'm up. And I say my line. Then there's a pause and Judd Apatow goes, wait a second. We skipped all this stuff, Sean. You missed all the stuff about the chicken place. And Sean, Sean goes, no, I didn't. He jumped my line. And he pointed to you? Yes. <laughs> because I did. I went too early because I became a fan. Uh-huh. Long story short, they, we fixed it. I get to set. I get one of the jobs. The way they shot that sequence was Nick Stoller just had a camera and he went around to each person and we all just had to improvise bits that we pitched to Sean and Sean had a camera and was just reacting. It, it's it's such a great scene. Right. I'm so glad to hear that it went better than I thought it went. Yeah. Uh, before we wrap up, I just want to talk about Jurassic World quick. Are you back on set yet or? I was supposed to and then COVID hit. So now we're figuring because oh, Sam Neil is. I thought Sam Neil is back. So they're shooting. So I was supposed to be there. Um, I think my original dates were like May fourth or something like that. But then everything got pushed, uh, and now we're having some scheduling issues because I'm, you know, I'm also on another show uh, that we're gearing up to shoot. So we're figuring it out. Hey, but, do you want to ask them? Uh... Yeah, you know, I know Fallen Kingdom ended with the dinosaurs escaping into the real world. Is that going to be addressed and picked up in the next Jurassic World? You're asking the wrong guy. I don't know. <laughs> so what are you most excited for, for this next Jurassic World then? I'm excited to shoot it. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I'd be, I'm excited to do the scenes. Um, I just, Colin and I are talking quite a bit and texting quite a bit and we're trying to um, figure it out. I'm trying not to get too pissed at COVID-19. Right, uh, but we're trying to figure out a way to make it work. And Jake, one one last one, just to you know, loop back back into hoops. Are you pumped for the post Garpax Bulls? No. Why not? Because the Bulls organization is trash, dude. I'm a Mets, Jets, Nets fan, so please. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Here's what I don't like about what the Bulls are doing, and I haven't watched in years. The players obviously don't get along with this coach, right? I never believe in sticking with the coach over the players. Right. If all your young players are saying there's something up. There's something up. Else. There's something up. There's and smoke, like there's them, fire. But I don't like an organization that like stands by their man. Your, your guy are the players. Right. And if your players aren't happy, 
What are you doing? It's basketball. They're not doctors. Jake, thank you so much, man. You are, in fact, the first guest on, on our podcast. So thank you so much for, for your time. Hoops is a blast. Check it out. It drops on August 21st. Jake, thank you again, sir. Pleasure talking to you, man. Cheers, man. Thank you. Thank you. Great interview, right? Like, just a cool guy. Like, so glad we got to talk. He was a super nice guy. For our first guest to have someone, like, down to earth like that is awesome. Can't thank, thank Jake enough. Hoops is the type of show where if you're, like, hungover and tired and your brain is off, just lay in bed and just laugh your ass off to that. I watched it in one sitting. It comes out uh, Friday, August 21st, I think. Yeah. Uh, and Jake is just the man. I knew I had to ask him about that because P. Diddy has never appeared in anything else. He just drops into this one movie and he's fucking Still hysterical. Every scene. And that's always and I've always been so curious about that. Like, how did P. Diddy come out of nowhere and become the funniest part of this movie? So thank you to Jake. B, I will see you Wednesday for Absolutely, our Wonder Woman pod. You guys gotta stay tuned. It's gonna be great. We're, and then of course, after that, we're breaking down. All of the DCEU fandom news, all of the announcements, all of the footage. We're going to dive deep and make sure you have all the commentary and analysis that you need to understand what the hell is going on for the future of the Blockbuster franchise. All right, y'all. Peace. Take care. I'm going to make him an offer, Captain. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius.